Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. The quality of the air we breathe in central Pennsylvania has improved, but it is still among the worst in the country. Those were among the findings in the American Lung Association's 2017 State of the Air Report, evaluating air quality in communities across the country. The study did contain some promising conclusions. The number of Americans regularly exposed to unhealthy levels of air pollution has decreased by a quarter since 2012, and the success is linked to provisions in the Clean Air Act of 1963. Joining us to discuss the report's findings are Kevin Stewart, Director of Environmental Health with the American Lung Association of the Mid-Atlantic. Mr. Stewart, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to be back, Scott. Also joining us is Dr. Jizu Kafari, who is an allergy, asthma, and immunology specialist at Penn State Hershey Medical Center. Dr. Kafari is also a board member of the Pennsylvania Allergy and Asthma Association. Dr. Kafari, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. If you have any questions or comments about the air here in central Pennsylvania or across the country, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Kevin Stewart, I'm going to start with uh, here in central Pennsylvania because this has been uh, one of the most notable news stories of the past decade uh, here in this region. Because it surprises many people, or at least it did when we first heard that uh, Lancaster County in particular had some very dirty air and that uh, Harrisburg, Lebanon, and York also uh, had high levels of, of pollution. But the good news is there have been some improvements. Talk about those improvements, but where the communities here in central Pennsylvania rank. Sure. I'll talk about the improvements here first. And and one of the things we know uh, in our report is that we do measure two kinds of air pollution. One is ozone, sometimes called smog. Um, it's a very powerful respiratory irritant, and we actually have the best ever uh, levels uh, of that pollutant in the history of the report, which the Lung Association has done since the year 2000. Uh, I'm very happy. I'm a resident of Lancaster County. Uh, I've been working with the Lung Association long enough that I've been with the report all these years. This is the first year that Lancaster County gets a passing grade, a C, for ozone. But a passing grade. A first year. So I'm, I'm, I, this is something that, that I certainly look forward to, being able to say this. <laughs> uh, and it's taken this much time. And this has happened even as the ozone standard has been made more stringent. And so even with respect to the current mo more stringent ozone standard, Lancaster County's passing for ozone. So that's a piece of good news that I really am happy to say. Um, the other thing is that we do know that when you look at long-term um, fine particle pollution, sometimes people call it soot pollution, right. but it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, we have um, both in the Lancaster and in the Harrisburg, York, Lebanon metro area, the best ever for the third year running um, uh, for fine particle pollution in Lancaster. Uh, we have the best uh, grade ever in, in uh, the, uh, the Harrisburg, York area, but I have to point out that there is the, uh, the fact that the Lebanon uh, air quality monitor, uh, which was worst last year, is, is now incomplete 
for this year's report. So it's not exactly a fair test. You know, the, the, the kind of like the, the, the one who got the worst grade in last year's report <laughs> is absent for this year's <laughs> test. Uh, but that's, uh, that's a little summary. Nothing to laugh at, uh, but, 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 but that's a summary. That's, a, that's the summary for, for, for kind of where we're doing uh, um, uh, among the best ever uh, in the area. So, so we're happy to report that. It shows that the Clean Air Act works. And that we need this. Uh, it's been supported over 47 years, um, both uh, under Democratic and Republican administrations. Um, certainly, uh, we know that there has been a, a great improvement in air quality, even as uh, the economy has also improved over that period of time. So we're very happy about that. All right. So let's talk about uh, this region in particular. And yes, some promising news. Mm-hmm. Do we know why it improved? I mean, sure. what steps have been taken to that that have led yeah. to that improvement? Right, right. I mean, it's very. I mean, the simple answer is that the Clean Air Clean Air Act works. Um, uh, the the regulations that have been adopted to reasonably and fairly control air pollution over the years has resulted in this kind of improvement. So when we're talking about vehicles, those of us who are old enough who remember that uh, a car tailpipe always smoked. Uh, now it's the rare thing that something's wrong with that car, that right. something's smoking. Especially when you hear it and then you smell <laughs> it, you know. Right, right. And, and, and the other side of it is that we are seeing that there are, have been improvements in terms of industrial air pollution, in terms of uh, fossil fuel-powered power plants, uh, industrial boilers. Uh, we're, we're putting less uh, solvents into the air. We're putting less unburned fuel into the air. All those kinds of things have an effect. And um, we are uh, being the beneficiaries now of having much cleaner air than we used to have because we have taken these steps uh, and to improve public health. Dr. Gaffari, the bottom line, though, is about health. Uh, you know, we can talk a lot about uh, the statistics and how the region has improved, uh, but let's talk about the impact on human health. Let's start with um, the, partic- the particles, because that seems to be where Lancaster in particular, and I, I, I guess the other region as well, uh, part of the region, uh, where we have done the worst. What, what impact do, does particulate, do, do particles have on humans? Uh, sure. Uh, particles, uh, because of their small size, and just to have an uh, imagination of the size and how small the size of the particles can be, a single human hair uh, measures approximately se- 70 micron. And micron is one millionth of a meter or one thousandth of a millimeter. So that is a very small uh, size. And if you think about uh, other particles like pollens, dust, and um, uh, molds, they are uh, approximately 10 micron. But thinking of particles that cause air pollution, such as diesel exhaust particles, they are also known as ultra-fine particles, they uh, they can be as small as 2.5. So just imagine the size, it's very small. And because of the small size of the particles, they are able to go inside. When we inhale them, they go in the lung tissue, and once there, they can cause inflammation. Mm-hmm. And because of inflammation, therefore, they could be damaged. I mainly uh, 
talking about the lung because that's area of uh, my specialty, but uh, particles can also uh, damage CNS, central nervous system. They can also uh, affect uh, other organs, uh, such as reproductive organs. That is not my area of specialty, but studies have shown, and over the course of years, numerous studies across the world, not only in U.S., but also in Europe and Asia, have shown that uh, there are real damage to uh, the body because of these particles. So as far as uh, respiratory illnesses go, uh, do we see more in this region because we have a high concentration of particles? Well, overall, it has been shown that uh, 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 areas that are uh, more risk of air pollution, the risk of respiratory diseases in general are increased. One of them is asthma. One could be COPD, which is uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and uh, those uh, can be seen in people who smoke. So you can imagine if you are exposed to air pollution, but you you also smoke, you are at higher risk because of uh, the the risk of uh, both uh, damage to the lung tissue. Uh, But yes, certainly numerous studies have uh, clearly uh, shown that there is a link between increased air pollution and risk of uh, uh, asthma and even allergic diseases. And uh, Overall, uh, the one theory about increased uh, risk of allergic and uh, asthma in general is it's a climate change and uh, mm. increased the temperature in the earth in, in general. It uh, causes um, a disperse of the pollution more readily and we uh, know that ozone is higher in uh, uh, when it's uh, so ozone is released when it's exposed to sunlight. So it's going going back then to smog then as part of the report yeah. too. But as part of your practice, tell me, I mean, is there a way you can tell that a patient has been exposed uh, to too much uh, too much in the way of particles or too much smog, or mm-hmm. is it difficult to tell? All you see are the symptoms that that patient has, yeah. but it's it's hard to tell where it came from. It's an excellent uh, question, Scott, and I'm glad you asked because I, uh, just as an example, I saw a, a 45-year-old gentleman uh, who uh, had moved from a rural part of West Virginia to Harrisburg uh, approximately three years ago to work as a truck driver. Then uh, since uh, two years ago, he has been having a cough, a shortness of breath, and some chest tightness. Uh, I saw him uh, uh, approximately a year ago, and exam, uh, physical exam was completely normal. But uh, when we did a breathing test, which is a measure of uh, breathing, so there's a simple machine that people breathe in and we measure, uh, some numbers uh, that showed uh, the breathing test was consistent with the uh, asthma. Uh, and after exclusion, other potential causes for respiratory symptoms such as hereditary conditions and COPD and all of that, uh, I was convinced 
that the exposure to pollutants in this uh, gentleman, uh, especially diesel exhaust particle, uh, caused activation of asthma. So I started him on treatment. So it is uh, something that uh, he probably didn't have to take uh, every day. But uh, because of this condition, now he has to take medications every day. Uh, Just interestingly enough, uh, recently when I saw him back, and initially when I tested him for uh, allergies, he did not have allergies. But this year when I tested him, he was positive to birch pollen, grass pollen, and... uh, Wow, he's more sensitive. He he was more sensitive. And the reason was that uh, I, I, again... Uh, was convinced that this was because of the exposure. Uh, So the reason I tested him again this time, because he had developed some allergic symptoms, so that made me wonder. So that this, uh, but this uh, example actually um, indicates several uh, important issues uh, that we need to know about uh, exposure to particles. First of all, they don't happen immediately. Uh, and uh, certainly one uh, conclusion would be exposure to pollutants can damage the lung tissue, uh, causing inflammation and reacting such as uh, presenting as asthma. Uh, and damage may not be seen immediately. It takes a while. This gentleman had exposure for a couple of years before he presented with symptoms. So prolonged and continuous exposure increase the damage. And uh, also allergies can develop from uh, pollutants. Well, that's not good news. (laughs) (laughs) We will have more about the report and about Central Pennsylvania in particular in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're talking about uh, the American Lung Association's State of the Air 2017 report and some of the findings, some good news this year, about uh, especially about uh, central Pennsylvania, but there are some concerns as well. Our guest, Kevin Stewart, Director of Environmental Health with the American Lung Association of the Mid-Atlantic, and Dr. Jisoo Gafari, who is an allergy, asthma, and immunology specialist at Penn State Hershey Medical Center. Dr. Gafari is also a board member of the Pennsylvania Allergy and Asthma Association. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at smarttalkwitf. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. Let's take a phone call from Daphne in Camp Hill. Daphne, you're on the air. Morning. Morning. I am uh, <laughs> uh, 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 the doctor from Hershey Medical. Described all my symptoms. I have wasted so many weeks the past, I don't know, three, four, five years with things that I never had before. I'm 72 now, but I'm always feeling tired and congested and coughing and uh, sinuses and just feeling tired. And I feel like I've wasted so much time. I can't get all my work done. Do you, do you think, Daphne, that it has something to do with the air that you breathe? Well, yeah, especially when I heard that, you know, in in Carlisle, the trucks have their engines running day and night, you know, 
and and there's a lot of pollution just from that, you know, mm-hmm. in this area. I live in Camp Hill. I thought we were in a good place because we have a lot of trees. But um, apparently, I mean, I never had these kind of allergic or asthma symptoms. I'm not even sure what kind of an exam I should get. Uh, my regular doctor gives me, you know, nose uh, sprays and breathing things, you know, and whatever they call albuterol. But I, I wonder, maybe I should go to this doctor in Hershey and, and see if I can get a different kind of an exam. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, someone who is experiencing those symptoms and... You know, it's funny because she said, I thought I'd be okay because we have a lot of trees. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're talking about allergies, that's something different. But when we're talking about uh, air pollution and someone who has lived here, and she brought up uh, a point that uh, Kevin often has pointed out uh, in the reports about the the large number of truck trucks that travel Mm -hmm. through central Pennsylvania, the number of truck stops that we have here in central Pennsylvania, and many times now we have made some improvements over the years with those trucks continuing to run, but that has been a contributor in the past, hasn't it? That's right. I I think one of the things that that we've emphasized uh, has been the issue of trying to improve fuels and improve engines. That's one thing. But then... uh, there are other things in terms of behavior that need to be improved. And and we've seen certainly some uh, push toward electrification of truck stops so that they don't have to idle all night and yet the drivers can still have a a safe and uh, and comfortable environment to be in. That's important. Uh, We also know that Pennsylvania does have an anti-idling rule and uh, that does... Which is relatively new. Which, which, yeah, it's 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 something that I know has been fought for. You know, it's it's been in place about ten years, I think. But but at the same time, it's something that uh, uh, needs to be uh, better understood and followed. And uh, individuals who see behaviors um, that uh, really shouldn't be happening, no one should be idling all night. Uh, and those kinds of things should be uh, uh, better controlled. Dr. Gafari, someone like Daphne, should she get uh, an examination beyond just the, the family doctor, the physical that uh, someone ever gets every six months or every year? Yes, I do believe so, because uh, there are certain tests uh, that can be done that can confirm, and maybe Daphne is uh, now have a Uh, having uh, more symptoms, she may now require some anti-inflammatory medications on a daily basis to prevent symptoms from getting worse. Uh, so I think it uh, certainly would be a good idea. Daphne, I'm sorry that you are having all these symptoms. And maybe you do. You are susceptible to have allergies because of exposure to tree pollens uh, in your area. Uh, but it's very interesting that the uh, particle pollution can uh, change the shape of the pollens and uh, interesting enough, uh, numerous studies have shown that uh, they can cause the uh, allergenicity or the potential for causing immune reactions just from uh, after uh, pollens are exposed to pollutants. Mm. So, Kevin, uh, we kind of started off with some good news about uh, sure. the rankings in Lancaster County and uh, Harrisburg, York, and, and Lebanon. But there is a but, and that but is? Yeah. The but is that uh, we are having problems locally with the daily measure of fine particles. Um, the Lung Association, in addition to looking at how many bad ozone days there are and what the long-term average for fine particles is, 
we also look at how many bad uh, fine particle pollution days there are. And um, nationwide, there has been a little bit of an uptick in spikes. In some parts of the country, it's clearly related to wildfires, drought. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things can increase uh, uh, fine particles. Some weather patterns have changed. Um, but locally, we also do have some, some unusual things where, um, uh, you know, although, for instance, in the Harrisburg, York, Lebanon area, things have improved, but not the best ever, uh, Lancaster County has shown an unusual phenomenon where last year it was the worst that it had ever been in the history of the report. And this year beat last year in terms of now it's this year uh, report covers uh, the three years of data from 2013 to 2015, that that raises it to be the worst so that it's, uh, the levels in Lancaster County are, are now, um, there are more bad particle days there than in any place in the United States east of Utah. Um, and uh, this is something that, uh, there are a number of things that may have led to this, uh, may, but at the same time, we also do know that there are some local air pollution sources in Lancaster that might have something to do with explaining it. Something that, I want to get back to something that Daphne said when she talked about uh, Carlisle and the truck stops, uh, and something you just mentioned, Kevin, mm -hmm. is that just because there is a local, meaning in your town, your city, a pollutant there, doesn't mean it, stop, it stops there. <laughs> because you mentioned weather patterns, uh, this can spread, you know, beyond. You know, remember, it seems like it's such a long time ago we talked about acid rain, uh, mm -hmm. and that Pennsylvania was like the biggest polluter or biggest, uh, you know, uh, per, uh, biggest state as far as biggest area where acid rain came from, supplier, I guess I'd say, uh, mm -hmm. happening around the world. I don't know if we go to that point or not, but still, not only is it what's happening locally, but with weather patterns, it moves uh, other places as well. Right. We we do know, certainly, that there's a, a, a need to understand air pollution as being both something that is emitted locally. So certainly, when you're talking about the WITF listening area, you're talking something on the order of three million people live within the sound of our voice. That's important to understand. Those three million people have jobs, they do certain activities, they drive cars, they mow lawns, whatever. All those things contribute to local air pollution. But also we are downwind. And so there are things where we'll see air pollution coming from the Baltimore-Washington area. We'll see air pollution coming from the Ohio Valley that waft into our area that give us not such clean air to work with to begin with, and then we're adding our own local air pollution onto that. So that's, that's important to understand, and that's one thing that the Lung Association certainly has fought for is better control of what we call cross-state air pollution um, so that the folks who are way upwind, who really get clean air to work with, and they maybe send air pollution out of their states that meets the standards but is dirtier, well, they're helping to make our problem worse and harder to deal with. So we want everyone to recognize we're, we're all breathing the same air, you know, and and we all need to do our fair part in this country if we're going to be serious about controlling air pollution. Let's go back to ozone for just a moment. Uh, it would seem as though short term there is not a whole lot you can do about ozone because it relies on the number of hot days, the amount of sunshine. Long term, as you mentioned earlier, right. uh, you know the 
policies that have been implemented and cars, uh, manufacturers, factories, those things have had an impact. But other than that, there's not a whole lot you can do about ozone, right? Well, I think... I mean, it depends a lot on weather. It's important to, for, for us all to understand that, sure, those, those national policies have been important, continue to be important, need to be upheld, because we know that the air pollution that leads to ozone is generated by things like, for instance, fossil fuel burning power plants. And when that makes nitrogen oxides that go into the air... That's, some, that's one of the ingredients that goes into the atmosphere to help make ozone. Well, we also know that things that we do locally, such as when we're using gasoline and if we have a spill or we're overtopping a tank, we're mowing the lawn, all those kinds of things, if we're doing those activities right in the middle of the day, you're creating volatile organic compounds going into the air. Those volatile organic compounds, the unburned fuels, solvents, all those kinds of things, they'll enter into the reactions with the nitrogen oxides that then make ozone. So we do have a a role to play. And if everyone did their part, and this is the idea about a, a single person's action may be small, but when you have hundreds of thousands of people getting on board and understanding that they can affect air quality, this can be something that can be important. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of emails here, uh, questions from listeners. Ray and Humblestown ask, what exactly are particle pollutants made of? Well, <laughs> <laughs> particle pollution is a very complex mixture of solid and liquid material that is airborne. Uh, as Dr. Gaffery said, uh, they are very, very small so that they can remain suspended in the air. The components, of course, include soot, so things that you're burning a carbon-based thing, whether it's coal, wood, uh, oil, gas, all those kinds of things that, that create uh, carbon um, particles. Those, those go into the air. Diesel fuel, of course, was mentioned. That's part of it, but there are other things. So, for instance, as an example, in Lancaster County, we believe one of the problems that may have uh, contributed to um, fine particles is ammonia. Now, you don't think about ammonia as a particle. It's a gas. But ammonia actually undergoes reactions in the air to make certain things that are called salts. But these salts will be part of the particle mix, and that when you breathe them in, those chemicals ammonium nitrates, ammonium sulfates, those, when they go into the lungs and you breathe them, they're very, very reactive. So that's one of the things that we know that is part of the complex mixture. It can be, there are air toxics, there are metals. Uh, All sorts of things can glom onto these particles in the air. So just because you have a gas doesn't mean it won't stick possibly and become part of that uh, particle matrix. And, and that's part of what I think the doctor was alluding to, that uh, people then breathe those in, they go into the deepest parts of the lungs, where then they affect all sorts of organ systems. And when you describe it that way, metals and uh, all these particles in your lungs, it sounds so bad. I think it, it's pretty graphic for people. They understand you know, what actually is going into their lungs. We don't see it. We don't taste it for the most part. I mean, from time to right. time, you can. But that is, I, I would assume, is, is, is one of the issues. One of the challenges here is because we, they are so small, we don't see them. We don't smell them. And it's like a lot of other pollutions out there. 
That is exactly true. And uh, although, uh, you know, general measures uh, nationwide and worldwide should be still in place to reduce uh, pollutants and, uh, you know, measures to uh, help with the quality of air. But uh, I think individual people have to uh, be aware of that. And just, for example, in uh, where their uh, uh, ozone level is higher, they do not uh, do uh, outdoor activities like exercises because with exercise, you breathe faster. So there is more likely that you breathe more particles and uh, also, uh, you are exposed to outdoor pollutants. So these are some measures that can be done. So we focused on the lung, but also other uh, health, health issues have been associated with uh, pollutants. Uh, heart disease uh, yeah. is one of them. So rate of heart attack has been shown to be increased in areas uh, that the quality of air is poor. And uh, also, uh, even uh, premature uh, death or uh, at least a couple of years reducing the length of life has been uh, shown and uh, uh, investigated in numerous studies. We have an email from Lisa and Adam who ask, how much is open burning a problem in our area? Many rural areas still do not have or do not enforce any open burning regulations. Where I live in Lancaster County, I have seen everything from plastic ag film, console TV sets, rubber tires, rolls of fiberglass insulation, and regular household trash being burned. Local authorities are often unwilling to stop these actions, including local fire companies. I can often look out over the valley behind me and see a visible brown smog. Kevin? It's a problem, and uh, the Lung Association uh, strongly advises that people uh, not uh, take care of trash by putting it into any kind of uncontrolled fire. Uh, this is one way to make a lot of air pollution. Uh, you can make thousands of times more air pollution per pound of trash uh, than you can uh, by putting it into a properly controlled municipal waste incinerator. Um, uh, the the uh, Lung Association certainly recommends that, that we find ways to minimize the amount of trash that we have to begin with, and but but any tr any refuse that we do have certainly shouldn't be burned. It creates all sorts of things: acid gases, uh, fine particles are are understood to be part of this this problem. Uh, sometimes people put things in like pesticides. Well, some of the pesticides go into the air, and people are breathing them as well. And this kind of problem uh, is something that very, very clearly is, is, is shown to be a contributor to the fine particle pollution levels in an area because as we get better control of the things that uh, are more easily regulated, so if you're talking about large power plants and you're talking about large factories and we're talking about vehicle air pollution, the better control we have of this the parts that we're not doing as well on are starting to become a bigger part of the mix. And certainly, when you find situations where lots of people are doing the same activity that's contributing to air pollution, uh, the, call, the, 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 the writer here does indicate very, very clearly how they're observing in their own neighborhood this is perhaps the largest and most important source of air pollution. So, so the Lung Association does encourage uh, municipalities to implement um, proper programs to help 
control the amount of, of, uh, of burning, preferably to, to uh, require people not do it. We have a, a, an email here from Mary in Lancaster County, and I don't know if I got the full, we're having a little problem with our uh, communication here today, and I just want to make sure I'm right here. Will using a neti pot, is that correct, neti pot help cleanse the respiratory system? A uh, neti pot is a sort of a nasal irrigation system. Uh, it mainly uh, it's good, and the area that it can reach is to the nasal cavity. It does Don't not do it. Uh, get into the lung tissue, so it's not going to help with the lung problem. One thing, uh, doctor, that I did want to ask also, uh, we've often heard many respiratory illnesses. It seems as though young children and older adults are most susceptible. Is that the case here with these pollutants? Absolutely. So they're overall uh, children and teenagers and uh, adults older than 65 years old have, have been shown to be at increased risk. Also people who have underlying already an underlying health conditions such as asthma or COPD are at higher risk. People who already have heart disease, they are at high risk. And those are the individuals who are particularly should be aware and avoid exposures. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kevin, uh, I want to talk about uh, the national uh, figures and the story across the country. Um, You've touched on it earlier. You know, when we think of pollution, we think of smog. Many times we go right to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. That's one area. Is L.A. still having a major issue? And overall, what across, What about the country? Yes. Um, there is no question uh, that air pollution continues to be a major problem in California. Um, it's this uh, unfortunate mixture where you have lots of people creating their, their air pollution. Even though California has better controlled vehicles than, than much of the country, um, you have so many people who are using them. And the, the topography and the winds are such that it allows those air pollutants to con- concentrate. Uh, it continues to remain a, a, a really significant area. At the same time, um, I, I really must hasten to add that, uh, um, like the rest of the country, uh, there have been significant improvements in air quality in California and across the country, so that the Lung Association is very happy with the outcome of, of where we've come so far in, in, in controlling air pollution, showing how m- many fewer people are at risk. So even though it's still a large number, like 125 million people still live in an area that gets an F for one of the things we give grades to, um, uh, that's still uh, you know a third less than than, it, than we used to have in, in in the previous report. So it shows that we're moving in the right direction, um, but it also shows that we still have work to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't want to bring politics into this, but I will ask this question. Uh, the Trump administration has, Donald Trump campaigned on uh, rolling back regulations, and we have seen uh, the Environmental Protection Agency is one of those agencies where some regulations have been rolled back and they're proposed to be rolled back. Does that concern you with the, pr- the progress that we've made? 
Well, I mean, the American Lung Association clearly does oppose any steps that would weaken the Clean Air Act uh, or weaken any of the measures in place uh, that would reduce air pollution, that is directly emitted things, or that would fight climate change. Uh, we know that uh, all of those things do have health consequences. We are already getting the benefits of controlling the air pollutants so that for every dollar that's spent, you know, it can be in the range between 3 and $30 of benefits are accruing uh, because of less illness, less death, less disease, less loss productivity, less absenteeism. All those kinds of consequences are the things that are the benefits of doing this kind of air pollution control. So the idea is that clearly we are helping people stay alive, stay in the workforce, and improving their, their, their well-being, including their jobs, because there are many jobs with respect to uh, the clean energy economy, with respect to air pollution control that people have and are grateful for because we're doing these kinds of things. There are people who are continuing to do their work. So we want to work with anyone who's seriously interested in understanding what the science says about air pollution and health and what the economics truly say about air pollution and health and, and working to make sure that the Clean Air Act is protected, that the Environmental Protection Agency has sufficient funding in order to carry out the mandate that the public has again and again in survey after survey resoundingly said they're in favor of. And we've been talking about uh, the American Lung Association's State of the Air 2017. There is a link on our website, WITF.org, if you'd like to see more information, read the report. Kevin Stewart from the American Lung Association of the Mid-Atlantic and Dr. Uh, Jisoo Ghaffari, an allergy, asthma, and immunology specialist at Penn State Hershey Medical Center. Thank you very much for being with us today. It's been our pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Hemp cultivation has been illegal in Pennsylvania since 1937, despite practical uses. Its strong fibers are useful in rope making and textiles. Hemp produces a sturdy industrial lubricant and healthy health care products. In recent years, hemp products have slowly returned to the marketplace, but advocates want to see a full removal of restrictions on hemp growth. Hemp is a relative to the marijuana plant, but it's been deemed guilty by association and thus kept from being fully acclimated into the agricultural economy. Pennsylvania, the state late last year, took some moves to look into uh, hemp cultivation, hemp cultivation, and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today with Sean Patrick House. He's the CEO of Lancaster Trading House and an advocate of hemp cultivation. Mr. House, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Scott. Yeah, let me turn you up a little bit. There we, there we go. There we go. Microphone still has to work there. How are you? Good, good, good. May 1st, my daughter just turned 11. So you're happy. Yeah, 20 years in the hemp industry, and we're going to grow hemp next year. So, yeah, I'm, it's a good start. When you say that we're going to grow hemp next year, uh, talk about that. Well, Representative Eric Nelson was at my booth at the Pennsylvania Farm Show this year. I've been there for 13 years. He said in Westmoreland County they were going to plant hemp to pull toxins from the ground. So kind of a segue from what your listeners were just listening to with clean air, here we have a plant that's organic that's going to take uh, – pollution from the air as well as from the ground. So it's like nature's lungs. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, why hemp 
uh, over the years, uh, as I said, since 1937, and uh, in that introduction said guilty by association. Why has it been illegal to grow hemp since then? It's politics and control, basically. Racism started it. But you were looking in the 30s, the Kemmergy movement, where industrialists like Henry Ford and others were trying to create cars from the ground up using vehicle fuels such as hemp. And we even ran a Mercedes-Benz 13 miles or 13,000 miles before 911 on hemp biodiesel fuel. So the Kemmergists at that time were looking at empowering the farmers. And some of the capitalists or industrialists might have been looking at controlling the source of energy through the, through the ground. Explain that a little bit more. What do you mean by that? Well, basically anything that you can create from a hydrocarbon, you can create from a carbohydrate or vice versa. I get that confused. So what we have in our our farmers' fields are renewable crops that can create energy, biomass fuel, uh, building materials, um, oil substitutes, plastics, biodegradable plastics. So this plant, uh, to to give the farmers something to grow so they want to keep their land, this, this is what it was all about. And during the 30s, there was consolidation of power. And only in America would we create a, a, a racist name against a plant that was identified through our government in the past, Department of Agriculture, Cannabis as Medicine, Hemp as Agriculture. When you say racist, I don't quite understand what you mean. A slang term of marijuana, you know, against Hispanics, blacks. Um, you know, you had your... Henry Anslinger's, it goes right into your Richard Nixon's. It goes into this whole thing with the war on cannabis in the 70s, and it was racist in nature. Um, again, our, our country knew cannabis for medicine and also for agriculture, whether it was the Conestoga wagon being covered with hemp canvas to go across the West, uh, the sailing ships, USS Constitution using 60 tons of hemp annually, uh, now we're looking at car parts, and that's been the last 10 years that the Europeans have been doing the interior car parts with hemp and flax or hemp and polyester injection molded. So this is the opportunity that we need to give our farmers in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to jump around a little bit here, but what are, I listed a few, but what are some of the uses of, of hemp? Well, presently for the last 20 years, um, and my company's interest is in the seed, is for nutrition. Um, I started in 1997 at Acres USA in the newspaper. You can see for the last 20 years talking about it for the textiles, the homespun, the things of that nature that are a lot, of, a lot done polyester now. Um, I mean, it'd be great for our Amish to be able to grow hemp and wear real homespun versus synthetic clothing. Um, but you're looking at car parts. You're looking at concrete. The French call hemp chauve. The Germans honf. Uh, the Japanese asa and uh, the Spanish Canyamo. Uh, again, it could be the old potato potato, but you're talking car parts, insulation materials, renewable industry, business that we can start. Five years ago, we could have started it. <laughs> All those countries that you listed, is it legal to grow hemp in those countries and use it? United Kingdom, I think there's 16 or 18 countries. We, I deal with the Canadians. I was up there pre-911. I've been to the Canadian hemp fields then. I've seen the Kentucky hemp fields two summers ago down at the University of Kentucky, what they're doing. It's amazing. So why did those countries allow the cultivation? It was still legal. And the United... Okay, it's, a, it's, a te- it's a technicality. Uh, Timothy Leary took the government to court over this issue with marijuana in the 70s. 
And and hemp is excluded from the Marijuana Tax Act because it's not a flowering plant. It looks more like bamboo. Uh, it's 150 to 300 plants per meter where medicinal cannabis is grown two plants per meter. And it looks more like a Christmas tree harvested for that flowering part. Again, God didn't make a mistake when he made a plant. It's really man's prohibitionist mentality and trying to call the market or control the market. You Something you said probably caught the ear of many people in our area, especially Lancaster County, when you said the hemp fields. Uh, obviously, we have some townships. We have a school district, uh, school district I should say, uh, and even outside of Lancaster County, they're in western Pennsylvania, hemp field. Where did that name derive? Well, it goes deeper, Scott. When you think of the Hamptons in New York, that's the Dutch word for hemp. Okay, and again, the sailing ships and all that, the, the type of industry in our time pre-industrial revolution would be generated through hemp. That rope, as you had mentioned, the rope walks, um, the Conestoga wagon being covered, the folks making their own homespun, um, all, th all that came from our ancestors. So again, we're not creating the wheel. This is not the Jerusalem artichoke. We have the history through the Department of Agriculture, through the Commonwealth, and really, again, it's just politics and control where I've been advocating for the last 20 years, we need to free the seed, you know, treat it like tomatoes. This is a plant that can benefit so many people in so many ways. All right, so just so we can clarify this, no, in fact, uh, there has been slang, you know, let's smoke some rope. Uh, but let's good talk. luck. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. How closely related to marijuana, and can anyone get high from smoking or using hemp? I, Scott, if your readers could, or your listeners could see my forehead with the red dent from hitting my head on the, you know, the, again, this is the mentality, and this is reflective of our educational systems that our children don't understand the difference between agriculture versus horticulture. Uh, again, when, when God makes our, our trees, they're not all oak trees. You know, the, the, they're not only roses out there. They're not only tulips. So there's 700 cultivars of the species. It is cannabis. Cannabis is the proper scientific genus of true hemp. There are There is hemp such as um, like an Indian hemp or a sisal hemp in the Manilas. That it, it goes back to our history with even World War II where the Japanese cut off the supply of manila hemp. All of a sudden, hemp was the savior of the of World War II, where they were growing hemp for victory, you know, for parachute rigging and all that other good stuff. And you can see that online on YouTube, Google hemp for victory, start seeing how the government advocated the use of hemp for war. And funny, we've been, I think, in Afghanistan 15 years for war, and, and we're still... We have to go study hemp this year. <laughs> Our guest during this portion of the program is uh, Sean Patrick Housey, CEO of the Lancaster Trading House and an advocate of hemp cultivation. If you have a question or a comment, we have a few minutes left. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, so let's talk about uh, what the state is doing now. And as you said right off the bat, that next year we will be growing hemp. Uh, uh, well, this this year we're going to be growing hemp. They're going to plant in May or June here soon. Um, I'm, I have a letter of intent with a farm that's going to press the seed for oil, and then we're going to take the seed meal and grind it into flour, F-L-O-U-R, which is gluten-free and also a source of protein. And, and it's good, you know, it's healthy flour. It's a darker grain. We use it in our pretzels. 
So that's my intent. But the other um, areas, again, are going to be, I think, up in the Schuylkill area, that they're going to grow it, in, uh, put in the, the brown areas for the coal region. Um, it, it's funny, in 1996, I was contacted by a company in Harrisburg. They were looking at using filtration systems with hemp in Africa for water filtration systems. So they're going to research it this year, and we're going to continue to buy it from the Canadians. <laughs> well, what about local farmers? Is there an interest locally? Absolutely. We did a, an event in 1999 at Yoder's Restaurant. We had 150 farmers come out. The CEO of New Holland Equipment sent his two top engineers out to watch our presentation. And at New Holland Equipment is harvesting Canadian hemp. <laughs> yes, they're interested, Scott. And when I say local, are we talking throughout the region or, or just what? And what about the Amish? Sure, the Amish in a heartbeat, but nobody wants to be fingerprinted or pay extensive bills to grow an agricultural crop. This is the issue of politics, and we need to eliminate the Pennsylvania state store mentality when it comes to cannabis, whether it's for medicine or for agriculture for industry. In the bigger picture, uh, is there a ripple effect if, you know, this is an industry that takes off? Has to be. Um, if they want my business to go into our pretzels, mustard, granola bars, seed, flour, everything that we're packaging now and selling to Wegmans or Carnes Foods or other stores, our farmers need to get involved locally. And we certainly want to source local. Mm -hmm. Let's take a question from Tom in <clears throat> West Hempfield. Tom, you're on the air. Uh, hi. hi, I had a quick question. Uh, why were there no uh, hemp research uh, licenses given to uh, anybody in uh, the Lancaster County area, specifically out in East Hempfield, where Penn State has a research center that would have been able to grow it and uh, probably would have been more uh, conducive for you to keep tabs on uh, the processes? of. Uh, and also I wanted to know about processing. Um, you guys have the infrastructure ready to process this stuff once the farmers are on board to grow it. Thank I'll you. Take my, uh, I'll take my answer off there. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much for your for your question. T you mentioned Schoolkill. There are certain areas where the state is using it as a pilot program. Absolutely, in Westmoreland County, out in Hempfield Township, Westmoreland, out in that neck of the woods, through Rep Representative Eric Nelson, and I know Senator Fulmer has been involved. Senator Schwank, I've met with all those representatives. They're doing a great job. We are building the infrastructure. I've been doing this for the last 20 years. So it's politics getting in the way. If the free market was allowed to work, we'd be doing this yesterday. Uh, the problem is the, the fees and the requirements, rules, and regulations. A lot of farmers don't want to deal with that. They're farmers. They're simple people. So in a complicated world, we can make things simple again. It's basically freeing that seed. But that's what I've been doing, Tom. Sean, we have about 30 seconds left. What's next? Uh, what's next is looking at the fields, um, getting our products into larger distribution uh, so customers don't have to pay an exorbitant fee for a great tasting products um, and contracting. It's kind of an Archer Daniels Midland approach, and I hope to see it happen. 20 years is long enough. <laughs> Sean Patrick House, thank you very much for being with us today. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, we're going to talk about taxes. The Trump administration has proposed tax reform. T.R. Reid, best-selling uh, author who has written a number of books uh, looking at different systems around the world. He, uh, we had him on uh, Smart Talk a few years ago talking about health care around the world. Well, his latest book, uh, is about uh, taxes around the world. Very interesting. T.R. Reid joins us on tomorrow's program.